All right. Are y'all nervous after that? It's pretty intense, right? Uh, well, it is obviously 9-11 today, and as we think back to, to those events of, of September 11, 2001, um, it obviously brings us to, to thoughts of our nation, uh, of the United States, this place that, uh, that we call home, which then brings us uh, to thoughts of, of what's to come. What does the future look like for our country? And obviously the elections are uh, probably the, the most urgent thing on our minds as far as our nation is concerned here coming up in just a little less than two months. Uh, so, so we're going to talk about how to avoid um, election infection. How can we uh, honor God through this election season? So real quick survey, I encourage everyone to play along. How many of you by show of hands, and uh, I'm up my hand on this. How many of you sometimes find yourself actually enjoying the drama and the chaos and the arguments and the debates of election season? Like you, you participate in it. Man, second service has all the antagonists or all the honest people. Uh, first service, there was like three of us with our hands up. And I was like, really? Uh, so, so everybody in second service has the integrity award. Props to you guys on that. Um, how many are you like, I can't wait for it to be over with. Please get this done. Okay. Quite a few of you. Once you raise your hand on both of those, which is funny. Um, how many of you say, I, I just can't stand, or even maybe you would use the word as strong as I hate when politics comes up at the dinner table and a social gathering. Like, I just, I want to get away. I want to leave the table. I want to check out of work. Like, it just, it makes me nervous. It makes me tense. Um, how many of you, because you know other people feel that way, you like to bring it up? Uh, some of you, <laughs> like, you're that guy. Uh, a few of you are honest there. Um, how many of you are like, I've watched all the debates. I cannot get enough. I consume all of this. How many of you you're like, I've watched some debates. Uh, how many of you, um, there's debates. Uh, like, that's a thing. Uh, some honesty there. Um, how many of you already made up your mind who you're voting for? A uh, few of us. Man, quite a few have not, or else maybe that means you're not voting. Um, and then last question, maybe. Um, who thinks that, that churches and pastors, preachers in particular, should not talk about politics? We should avoid this topic. So you're like, I'm leaving. I'm not going to stay here for this. Um, no. Um, if that's you, I, I hope and I pray that, uh, that, that you see the importance of, of this topic that we are hitting today. And I believe that God's word is going to shine on us in some areas today. Um, what I want to do is I want to issue a corporate challenge to God followers, to Christ followers today, to those who would call ourselves Christians. Um, and let me, let me say this. If you do not call yourself a Christian today, if you haven't met Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you picked a great day to be here because we're going to actually look at a statement that Jesus made that you agree with that you may have even used yourself or you've at least heard. Um, and you may not know that it came from Jesus, so you're going to get some historical information and find out where this statement came from uh, today. Uh, but, but if you do call yourself a Christian today, if you are a Christ follower, um, I'm going to inter issue a challenge for all of us here that, that fall under that banner. And that challenge is this. Between now and September the 8th, I'm going to challenge you to put your faith in front of your politics. November the 8th, that's the election. James is writing it down. Uh, November the 8th, and get out and vote. I think it's important for God's people to vote. But, but put your faith in front of your politics. Um, in other words, I, I'm asking you to put your faith filter up front and your political filter somewhere down the line after that. I'm asking you to be a Christian first and a Republican second. Or a Christian first 
and a Democrat second, or a Christian first and a Libertarian second, or a Christian first and an Independent second, or whatever political persuasion you happen to have, because let's face it, none of us is going to die and go to Washington, D.C., right? That's not the way that it works. We all know inherently that there is something more important. For some of us, this is going to be a tough challenge to put our faith in front of our politics, but, but every one of us deep down inside knows that there are bigger things and more important things than politics. That's why I've never gone to the hospital to visit somebody who was dying. And obviously, we, we have maybe a younger church than a lot of churches, so I may not do as many of these types of visits as some pastors do. But I have done some, and, and I've never gone to the hospital with somebody who was dying and had them look at me and say, Pastor Troy, would you please read me the Declaration of Independence one more time? Right, could you read me the Second Amendment one last time before I go? Nobody's ever like, will you read me the Bill of Rights? Nobody's ever asking for that. Man, they might love the Constitution. They may stand on the Second Amendment. But when it comes time to meet their maker, nobody's turning back to some foundational document of America. Why? Because there's something bigger. There's something greater. We all inherently realize and understand this, that there's something beyond what happens in our nation and what happens politically. So I'm not saying it's not important. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. Well, I'm not telling you that you can't have an opinion. Um, what I am saying is, is, at the end of the day, your faith is more important. Um, and I think that this is a challenge that maybe the average American wouldn't be able to take. The average American Christian maybe wouldn't be able to live up to this. But I, I'm biased towards you guys. Uh, I, I think that you're above average. I think you're astute. I think you're maybe better than the average church. And, and even if you're not, I know it's my job to call you to be better. Now, we're not going to settle for average. We're not going to settle for, for what the church down the road does or what the Christian down the road does. We're going to pursue God's best for ourselves, for our lives, his calling for us and for our church. So I'm not telling you not to have an opinion. I have an opinion about just about everything. I know some of you, man, you're, you're comfortable not having an opinion on things. Well, what do you think about such and such? Well, I don't know. I don't really have an opinion about that. I don't get you. I'm one of those people that as soon as I know that something exists, I have an opinion about it. It's the way I've been my whole life. An opinion, and if you know me, my opinions most of the time happen to be pretty passionate. Like I'm convinced that my opinion is right. What's funny is over the course of my lifetime, my opinions on some things have changed. But, man, they've been just as convinced now that I'm right as I was convinced back then that I was right. I'm opinionated. If you want to know my opinion about stuff, you, you can ask me. I'll tell you. I'm not going to bring my political opinions up here because I don't think this is the right place just to tell you who to vote for or what, that. But if you want to know, I'm not, it's not secretive. I'll tell you where I stand on things because I have an opinion. What I am telling you is that your opinion is not the most important thing. It's okay to have opinions. It's okay to share opinions. But your opinion and my opinion is not what's most important. So men, I'm not telling you that there's never a time over the next couple of months where, where you can yell at the TV because you're so mad about what that reporter just said. Man, if, if you can yell and, and honor God as you yell, then, then go for it. I'm not telling you that there's never going to be a time where you can hit pause uh, on the news and turn to your family and explain by what, the, why that, what politician just said why that was wrong. Okay, if you want to do that and you want to teach your family, man, go right ahead. I'm not suggesting that, that all Christians should vote for one particular candidate or align with one particular party. I'm not saying those things. What I am saying is that our faith is going to come first. Our faith is going to come before 
our politics. Now, now for many of you, you're like, man, praise God. I'm so glad he's talking about this because all those people on the other side of the aisle need to hear this message, man, because everybody voting for that other candidate needs to know that their faith is more important. Why? Because all of us, if I were to ask you, why are you supporting this candidate? Why do you line up with that party? You're going to say, well, because I'm a Christian, I'm a Republican. Because I'm a Christian, I'm a Democrat. Because I'm a Christian, I vote this way. You're going to have something to back it up. Some reasoning why, man, because I'm a Christian, I'm a libertarian. You're going to have something to support it with. Um, and, and so got some, some ways to illustrate this that hopefully can take a little bit of the edge off before we get into some things that are maybe a little more serious. But I've heard people say many things just like this. So if you're a Republican, you're like, hey, God is always right. Jesus is always right. So I'm going to be on the right, right? Like that's where you're going to line up. Uh, and so Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, we just read this verse a couple times in regards to our Matthew parties, which are coming up or even ongoing. Some of you already had them yesterday. It says this, it says, and then Jesus uh, said, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come to call the righteous, not the sinners. So the Republican would say, well, hey, there's righteous and there's sinners, and we're going to be on the righteous side, and Jesus is calling the sinners over to the right. And, and of course, if you're a Democrat, you're like, whoa, 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 you have got to be kidding me. You might have one little silly little verse over here, but, but if you can follow the life of Jesus, I can tell you this, Jesus was all about health care. Man, Jesus was a walking health care dispenser. He was free health care everywhere that he went. He didn't charge anybody. He was coming around, and he's taking care of everybody, and he's calling us to be like that, and he's feeding people, and he cares about the poor, and, and that's why I'm a Democrat, right? And you might even have a, a verse to back it up yourself. You might say, okay, Matthew 15, 37, uh, after he fed the 5,000, it says they ate, they all ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. So it's subtle, but it's there. Jesus is speaking about being on the left. And, and of course, if you're libertarian today, you're like, I can't believe he actually mentioned us. We're getting credit. We exist. Nobody ever even recognizes we're here. Uh, but, but you've got your reasons for, for arguing what you believe as well. The most famous verse in the Bible is obviously John three sixteen. but perhaps the second most famous verse isn't famous for, for being known where it's at, but people know the statement, and it's used politically all the time. It's John chapter 8, verse 32, and John eight thirty two says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What are the libertarians all about? Freedom. Liberty. Man, we're going to be free. That's why I'm a libertarian. That's why I believe the way I believe, and all the millennials said, Amen, right? Like, that's a... Where, where the libertarians come in. Um, and so there's this incident this one time with this rich young ruler who was talking to Jesus. And, uh, and it says that he talked to Jesus and the ruler went away sad. So we're not about government. We're not about rules, man, because those people, are, Jesus is going to make them sad. He's about freedom. And you might even go to 1 Thessalonians 4.11, which says you should mind your own business and work with your hands. And that's the, the libertarian theme, right? Like, mind your own business. We're going to mind our own business business-wise. We're going to mind our own business as a nation. We're going to stay out of wars. That's how we're going to do it. Mind our own business and work with our own hands. So have I offended everybody yet? Have I left anybody out? I think I've hit just about everybody in the room. I know we have registered voters in all three of those parties. If you're a part of the Green Party and I let you out, I'm sorry, but I don't know anybody that's on the Green Party, so uh, there you go. Uh, the point is this. When it comes to politics, it is not enough for us to say Bible first, politics second. Because no matter where you come from politically, you can argue your place biblically. 
So if we're going to say Bible first, politics second, we're going to justify all the things that we already believe. We're going to turn to the scriptures that match up with what we want, and we're going to say, well, this is what the Bible says, so this is why it's this way. It's not enough to say Bible first, politics second. And surprisingly enough, it's not even enough for us to say Jesus first, politics second. Because every one of those parties can point to something that Jesus said or something that Jesus did and say, well, we're going to be like Jesus and we're following this out and this is why we vote this way. So, so what is enough? What do we have to do? Uh, the truth is we all want Jesus on our side, right? We want Jesus to have our backs. And, and I think it was Abraham Lincoln who said this during the Civil War. Somebody asked him, said, well, well, President Lincoln, which side do you think God is on? And President Lincoln said, I don't know what side God is on. I just hope we're on God's side. The approach is totally different. Instead of God coming for us, we're for God. We want to be on his side. We want to line up with who he is. And so when Jesus came, Jesus didn't come to take political sides. They thought he came politically. They thought he came to build a kingdom and to take over the military and, and to do all of these things. But Jesus didn't come to, to take sides politically. Jesus came to take over our hearts. And, and so Jesus has a different Approach, and I believe we all need to get this right, and we must get this right. We have a great opportunity the next two months, and, and even beyond that. I'm, I'm specifically narrowing it down to two months because that's a small enough time frame. Most of us can wrap our brains around it and say, okay, I can do this for two months. But, but even beyond, because somebody's going to get elected November 8th, and a lot of people are going to be thrilled, and a lot of people are going to be very upset. And then somebody's going to begin, once they get elected, to, to enact new policies. And one side's going to love it, and the other side's going to hate it. And there's so much potential for division. We've seen it, my, I mean, my whole life. I'm 35 years old, and every time somebody's been elected president, this is the way that it goes. No matter which side they represent, the other side is going to bash them and hate them and cut them. And, and I'm not saying that one side is never right and one side is never wrong. Sometimes I believe that can't be the case. But, but I believe that we have to get this right. And so... We can't just say Bible first, politics second, or Jesus first, politics second. If we're going to get this right, we have to actually do something that Jesus did. We can't just grab something he said. We actually have to do what he did. We have to follow his approach to life, his approach to situations. And so the way that you put your faith first and your politics second over the next two months and beyond that is this. It's a very simple and very practical, but it's revolutionary and transformational. It's people first, politics second. People first, politics second, because Jesus was always for what was best for people. What side is Jesus on? Jesus is on the side that's for people. Jesus wants what's best for people. Now, his perspective about what's best for people might be different than my perspective about what's best for people or different than your perspective about what is best for people. But Jesus was always for what was best for people. This is our common ground. It's what unites us as citizens. It's what unites us as Christians. It's what gives us common ground even with God the Father. So, so to kind of tease this out a little bit and maybe make it, help it make a little more sense, let's put it this way. We can disagree on what's best for people, and we will. You may see this is best for people, and I may say this is best for people. We can disagree on what's best for people, but we can never disagree that's what's best for people is what's best. Say it again because I know it's kind of wordy. We can disagree on what is best for people, but we can never disagree that what is best for people is what's best. What should we aspire to politically? What does it come down to? What is the best for people? 
What is the best thing for people? What is going to make the greatest impact in people's lives? What's going to protect people the most? What's going to bless people the most? What's going to keep people connected most closely to God? What is the best for people? Name any bill, anything before Congress, anything, any claim that Trump makes or any policy that Hillary proclaims or anything that Gary Johnson believes in or anything that Jill Stein wants us to do. Anything that comes up over the political season or any discussion you get in on social media or at work or, or in any of these contexts. And ultimately, it will come down to this. What is best is what is best for people. And we can disagree about what's best. We can disagree about how to get there, and we will. But it will always be what's best for people that is what's best. Now, when you read the Gospels, this is so clear. It's a strong theme running throughout the entirety of Jesus' ministry. We find it so many places, including the, the most famous verse, that John 3.16. What does it say? It says, for God so loved the world that he did what? That he sent his only son to die in your place and mine, to pay the ultimate price. Why? So that we could spend eternity with him, so that we could have everlasting life. Why did Jesus die? Because that's what was best for people. Why did Jesus give up his life? Because that's what was best for people. And so he was willing to lay down his life. He was willing to sacrifice his pride. He was willing to suffer pain and humiliation because in that instance it was best for people. What is best is what is best for people. It's who God is. It runs throughout Scripture. Jesus loved people and he put people first. And the thing that drove Jesus crazy, if you read through the gospel, anytime Jesus got annoyed or frustrated or upset it is when some religious person, a religious leader, enacted a rule or a law that hurt people. What angered Jesus? Why did Jesus go off in the temple and begin turning over tables? Because the tables, and they were selling these doves, and they were cheating people. They were hurting people. Why was Jesus upset? Because he gets really upset when somebody uses religion or faith to hurt people. You see, people were not created for rules. People were not created for regulations. They were not created for commandments. People were not created for religion. Those things were created for people. God gave rules for people to protect us. He gave commands for people to guide us. He gave us religion and faith for people to help us to get to him. All those things exist for people. We don't exist for those things. And so the heart is always people. And I know you're like, okay, I get it. You can get off of this, but, but I've got to drive this home because let me say, this doesn't just apply to politics, guys. This is an overriding principle that, that it defines us as believers. We have got to be motivated by people. We just spent the last four weeks in a series called How to Neighbor. In our How to Neighbor series, we dug into Luke chapter 10 where, where this guy comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? And I'm going to show it to you in Matthew chapter 22 today, just a different version of it because uh, I think it's so important and we actually have access to more than one account. And so in Matthew 22, Jesus replies to this question, what's most important? What's best? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, right? He says, this is the first and the greatest commandment. We know this. And everybody exhaled. Why? Because love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's pretty internal. It's pretty personal, right? Like, it's, it's hard for me to look at you and say, Kaylin doesn't really love the Lord of God with all her heart, with all her mind, and all her strength. It's hard for me to say, Donna, she, she's not really into the, loving the Lord of God with all her heart, with all her mind, with all her strength. Or Dan, Dan doesn't really love the Lord his God with all his heart, with all his mind, with all his strength. How can I say that? I don't know what's inside of him. I don't know what's inside of you. 
I, I can't identify that. And so if it stops there, it's easy, right? There's a lot of loopholes. There's a lot of ways that we can kind of wiggle around away from the command. And so everybody breathed a sigh of relief, except Jesus didn't stop talking. Jesus didn't even pause. He just plowed right through it and he said, and then the second is like it. The second is just as important. The second is, in my opinion, what he's saying is the second is evidence of the first. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. If you really love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, then you will love your neighbor as yourself. It is impossible to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and not love the people that he created in his image. You can't do it. You can't come to me and be like, PT, man, I love you. You're awesome. I love everything about you. I love you with everything that I am. And you hate my kid. You can't do it. If you love me, you're going to love my kid. It's just the way that it is. You can't separate the two. And I can't tell God that, God, I love you so much, and I worship you so much, and I give you all that I am, but, man, I hate these people you created. These people that you died for, they are worthless because they vote for the other side. We can't do it. We can't separate the two. And so if we're going to love him with all that we are, the greatest commandment, then we're going to love others as well. Matthew 22, verse 39 says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then verse 30, he goes on and makes, or excuse me, verse 40, goes on and makes this crazy declaration to the people who first heard it. We, we can't even begin to fathom how deep this statement was for those who heard it at the beginning. But, but he said this, he said, all of the law and the prophets hang on these. If you know anything about the Old Testament, the first five books are the, are the law, the books Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. In those first five books, there are over 600 laws. Over 600 commands of God, over 600 things that man has to follow. And Jesus says, look, I get it if you can't remember all 600 of them. I get it if you can't memorize all that. I get it if you don't have access to the the scripture, you don't have access to the Old Testament, you're a Gentile and you haven't even read it. I get that. Let me just narrow it down for you. Let me simplify it for you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you get those two right, you get all 600 right. If you get those two right, you'll get the rest right. Everything hinges on that. Everything is just an explanation of that. It's all just detail. And loving God and loving people. That's what it's all about. Why? Because God loves people so much. Because he loves people so much. He loves people so much that he died in our place. If we love God, we have to to love people. You want to keep your faith ahead of your politics, put people ahead of politics. It's as simple as that. We, we can disagree what's best for our neighbors, but we dare not forget that's what, what is best for our neighbors is always what's best. Now, this is profoundly simple to state people before politics. Um, and, and think about it. You're smart people. Imagine this. Just imagine, indulge me for just a minute. If for the next 60 days between now and the election. For, uh, it might be 59 days. I didn't count it out. It's right in that ballpark, right? So between now and November the 8th, just imagine if every American walked out the greatest command. What if every American loved their neighbor as themselves? What would happen? What would happen is the vast majority of laws that we have in our country would become obsolete. You wouldn't need them. 
We don't need laws about myrtle, murder and, and laws uh, about stealing. We don't need laws about theft. We don't need laws about embezzlement. We don't need laws about prostitution, right? Like all that stuff is out the window if we love our neighbor as ourselves. All of that stuff is gone. Why? Because Jesus understood you don't need hundreds of laws. You just need two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And love your neighbor as, your, as yourself. And everything else falls into place. Now, now we understand that that's not going to happen, right? All 300 Americans aren't going to walk this out, but, but, but we can. We can't control what 300 million people do, but I can't control what I do. And as your pastor, I can call you to live this out. I can call you to begin to use this filter. In fact, I believe I'm called and compelled by God to do exactly that. Everything hinges on loving our neighbor as ourself. Now, to switch gears a little bit, we're going to come back to this before we wrap up. But here's something to keep in mind because this is so challenging for many of us. You're, you might be going, yeah, 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 you're probably right, but man, you're taking all the fun out of it. I only get the election every four years. I only get to argue and debate about this every four years, and now i got to love people in the middle of it. Well, well, here's something to think about if that's you. Understand this. Your behavior makes perfect sense to you, right? Like if I were to ask you, why did you do that? Why did you get up at this time? Why did you oversleep? Why did you come to church today? Why didn't you come to church today? Like, if I were to ask you any of those things, you, you're going to have an explanation. It is very, very, very rare when you ask somebody, why did you do that? And they're like, uh, I don't know, maybe teenagers. But outside of that, like, most of us can, can make a statement and to defend our actions, right? Our behavior makes sense to us. doesn't mean we always agree with it or we always think we made the right decision, but we can at least say, well, this happened because so-and-so made me so mad. Or that happened because my wife did such and such. Like, we might have somebody else to blame for our actions actions, but we can tell you why we did them. Our behavior makes perfect sense to us. In the same vein, the behavior of your spouse does not make perfect sense to you, right? The behavior of your child does not make perfect sense to you, right? The behavior of your boss doesn't make perfect sense to you. In the same way, let's go politics. Your political views make perfect sense to you. You know why you think what you think. You've, you've thought it out, you've rationalized it, you've maybe prayed it through, you've arrived at, this through, arrived at this through your experiences, maybe through the way you were raised, maybe through what somebody taught you in church, whatever the series of factors are, you've arrived at, at your political opinions, they make perfect sense to you. So, when we make statements like, I don't know how anybody could vote for candidate X, what are we saying? We're saying we don't know. I don't know how anybody could be a part of that, that party. I don't know how anybody could be a Christian and believe in this, this argument, believe in this thing. I don't know how anybody. We say these things all the time. What are we saying? I don't know. There is information I don't have access to because the person that feels that way, it makes perfect sense to them, right? So, so when we feel like, I don't know how anybody could do this during this patriotic thing. What we're saying is there's information I don't have access to. I don't understand your motivations. So what do we do? Do we sit here and judge and point fingers and tell everybody they're wrong? Or is there a different approach? I believe there is a different approach. So, so the next time you get in that situation and something doesn't make sense and somebody makes some statement at work or some family member goes somewhere or some argument erupts on social media and you're like if you're voting for so-and-so just to friend me now because I can never be friends with somebody who believes blah 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 the next time you get to that point here's what I want you to do be a student not a critic be a student not a critic 
recognize that the reason you feel the way that you do is not a problem with the other person politically. It's because there's some information you don't have. And so I'm going to begin to pursue that information. Here's what I believe, and I believe this so strong, and I want you to write this down. I want you to burn this into your hearts. I believe that as Christians, as Jesus followers, we should always be the most confident, the most curious, the most composed, and the most compassionate people in the room. And I'm going to unpack each of those for you. I believe we should be the most confident. Why? Because if you believe that God knows your name, there should be some confidence that comes with that. Not arrogance, not pride, but some confidence. I matter. My life matters. Jesus died for me. There's some confidence that should come behind that. Man, we should have some confidence. If you believe that not only does God know your name, but he's actually written it down in the Lamb's Book of Life and promised you eternity with him because of it, there's some confidence that should come from that. In other words, I don't care if the election goes the wrong way. God's got me anyway. I don't care if the wrong person gets in office. Not that I, maybe I don't care is the wrong way to say it. My life is not going to fall apart. My life does not hinge on somebody else's vote. My life hinges on God's plan for me and what he's doing in my life. There's confidence that comes from that. So we should be the most confident people in the room. Secondly, we should be the most curious. Why should we be the most curious? Guys, you got because if you're a Christian, you declare that you serve a God of infinite wisdom. He is all-knowing. What is infinite wisdom? When does that run out? Not November 8th. It doesn't run out, right? Like, we're a God. He's a God of infinite wisdom. What that means is from the moment I met him to the moment I breathed my last breath, there is stuff that I am constantly unpacking, constantly learning about him, constantly learning about his nature, his character, his ways. There are things that I'll never fully grasp on this earth. We t they talked about it in the video at the beginning, right? 9-11. We may never fully understand what happened. But a day will come when we'll have full knowledge. It's just not in this earth. He's going to give it to us. And so we serve a God of instant, infinite wisdom. What that means is I need to constantly be gaining more and more knowledge. We should be the most curious. We should never be intimidated by science. We should never be in intimidated by this discovery or that discovery. Why? Because we should constantly be thirsty that, man, I serve a God who's beyond my comprehension. And I'm constantly trying to gain a little bit more understanding of who he is. Christians should always be the most composed. Should be the most grounded. Why? Because our life does not hinge on everybody else's decisions. Man, whether, whether you vote the way that I want you to or not, whether you agree with my opinions politically or not, I'm good. I should always be the most composed. I should never lose my composure because something that you were doing. If, if I lose my composure because of you, it's not because of you, it's because of me. It's because I'm not finding something in Christ. I'm not centered on his peace, on his wisdom, on his spirit. If I lose my composure, and let, let me say this. Let me just tell on myself for a second here. I didn't say this first service, but y'all are going to get the good stuff. All right, so this morning, I'm driving to church, and I'm praying, God, literally, these are the words coming out of my mouth, because when I pray by myself, I pray out loud, because if I don't pray out loud, then I get distracted really easy. So I pray out loud, and it keeps me a little bit focused. So I'm praying, I'm saying, God, please help us, help me to always put our faith before our politics. And as this happens, I'm driving by South Haven High School, and there's something going on on the side of the road, and the dude in front of me slows down to about two miles an hour. And I slam on my brakes, and in the middle of my prayer, I swear to the Lord, these are the words that came out of my mouth. I go, dude, you suck. In the middle of talking to God, right, what I do? I lost my composure. So I'm not saying this like I got this mastered. Okay, that's just, that's just real. That's literally what I said. I'm not, like, advocating it or encouraging it. Those were the words out of my mouth. 
and they were loud. I was, I was praying quietly, and I spoke to that dude loudly. Um, so, so we're not always going to get this right, but we should be the most composed. And God's calling us back to that place. When we lose our composure, he's calling us back to it. And finally, we should be the most compassionate. Nobody should care more than us because we serve a God who loves those people who are in need. Nobody should ever outcare the church. So, so in order for us to get really, really practical today, I know we're already in time to go and in time to get to lunch and we got football games on and man, it's fantasy football today and all kinds of stuff. I know, I get it. Trust me. There's no bigger football fan in this room than me. Give me 10 more minutes of your time. We got DVR. You can catch it later. Just stick with me for 10 minutes. What I want to do is I want to give you four questions that you can use the next time you get into one of these debates, the next time you get into one of these places. And I believe these questions will help you, whether, whichever side you're on. And I don't mean whichever side, Republican or Democrat. I mean whichever side, like you really, really care maybe too much about politics or you really, really hate politics and you wish everybody shut up about it. I think these questions will help you whichever side you are on because people care about this stuff. And so, therefore, we need to care. We, we need to engage with this, and these questions are going to help you whichever place you're on. So four questions to help you avoid election infection. And next time this stuff comes up, ask the person this. What led you to hold that view? Instead of telling them where they're wrong, ask them why they got there. Because when we get a political discussion, what we always get is the end result. Here's what I believe about X. What we never get is the journey that brought them to that place. What is the life you've lived that brought you here? What are the experiences that made you feel this way? Well, what are the things that you've seen, the things that you've prayed through, the things you've experienced or your family's experience that makes you look at it this way? Because I don't see it. My experiences didn't bring me to this place. So tell me, what brought you to this place? Look, I'm not just, I'm not saying every opinion is just as valid or everybody's right and nobody's wrong. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that that opinion matters because it's a person who has the opinion and the person matters. And when you ask them, how did you get there? What are you doing? You're showing them value. You're showing them significance. Also, you might learn something. I haven't changed my opinion on everything politically, but there's some things that, I've man, over the years I have changed my mind on. And I'm glad I've had these conversations. I'm glad people have, have been willing to share with me their experiences. I've been able to see things through some different perspectives. So, so ask them, what, what is it that brought you to that place? A, a follow-up question to that. This may get answered in their answer. It may not. Follow-up question is this. Have you always held this view? Maybe they felt differently at a certain point in time, and, and asking that question, is gonna t they're going to tell you how they changed, or they've always felt that way, and now you're going to find out, man, this is the way I was raised. This is what my family taught me. This is what my school taught me. This is what my neighborhood, man, everybody felt this way. This is how it's always been for me. I've never seen it differently. And, and so in the process, what are you doing? You're doing two things. Like I said, you're honoring them, or three things. You're honoring them, you're learning, but, but number three in asking these questions, I've, in my opinion, this is a way more effective way to get somebody to change their mind than just telling them they're wrong. Because if you tell me I'm wrong, it's on, baby. Like, I'm going to tell you why you're wrong in 37 different ways and why I'm better and smarter and know it more. And that's just that's how we're wired, right? But if you ask me my opinion and why I feel that way, I'm going to start seeing the holes in my own argument. Well, you know what? I never really thought of Why do I? I don't know. I just kind of always felt that way. Maybe, maybe I won't. Maybe I'll really be able to defend it. But, but it gives a chance for them to be self-reflective and introspective rather than just screaming back and forth at each other. So you really want to change some minds. The best way to change minds is by asking questions. It's not by telling people how stupid they are. Um, no, number three, when, when it gets personal, when they start talking about this candidate or that candidate and their character, 
not just what their statements are, or their, the, where they stand on the issues, but they're talking about their personal character. Ask them this, and I'm bad about this too, so I'm telling on myself, but have, have you met him? Have you met her? Right, because we make de- declarations about political candidates like we grew up together. Right? Like, we know everything about everything they've ever done, man. They used to hang out in the basement, and we played Xbox together, and this is just how they are. Like, we think we got them all figured out. And so, of course, this is kind of the sarcastic, sardonic question that you can ask, and some of you are going to enjoy that. But, man, have you ever met that person? No, duh. Well, then why do you think that you got them all figured out? Look, there's people in this room that I know you, but I don't know everything about you. I don't know why you got to every place that you're at. And yet we make, we make confident, bold declarations about political candidates like we know everything they've ever done. And the last question kind of in line with that is simply this. I get most of my information from the media. Is that where you get your information? Where, where do you get yours? Why? I'm not bashing the media. I'm grateful we live in a country with a free press. I don't think the media's got it all figured out, and I don't think they're perfect by any means. But, man, I'm grateful I didn't grow up in North Korea. I'm grateful I didn't grow up in China. I'm grateful that I live in a nation where we have access to free information. But, but guess what? Most of us get our information filtered by the media. Whether, and whether that's the, the news media, that's CNN or Fox News, or, or whether that's blogs, right-wing blogs, or left-wing blogs, or center blogs, or whatever blogs, right? Like, we get, we get our information from the same places. And let me just illustrate this really, really quick, how much... Because I love that we live in the information age, but living in the information age also means we live in the misinformation age. There's so much false information out there. Just a, a really practical example from this week that affected me deeply on a personal level. So, so the Seattle Seahawks are in the news uh, because the people decided it was about Thursday. Bobby Wagner and Doug Baldwin made some statements about, hey, we're thinking about doing something during the national anthem as a team. And it just lit up the blogosphere. The Seahawks are all sitting down during the national anthem as a team. This is the worst thing ever. My father's been a Seahawks fan since the first game they played, 1976. He posted this article. He said, if this is true, I'm looking for a new football team. Right? Like, so fired up that the Seahawks would do this. Then, then what? But you actually looked at what the players said. All they said is, we're thinking about do, doing something as a team. They didn't say it was a protest, and whether it's right or wrong. They just, they just said we're thinking about doing something during the national anthem. Come check it out, see what happens. So finally yesterday, the new, it actually gets out. What are they doing? What are they doing? They are standing arm in arm, linked up during the national anthem as a show of unity and brotherhood. Now, you can agree with that or disagree with that. I'm not telling you to be a Seahawks fan. What I am saying is there were three days where people lost their minds because the Seahawks are going to do X, Y, Z, and it's not even going to happen. People take one little thing that kind of looks this way, and they run with it, and it happens politically all the time in America. We live in the misinformation age. So, so as Christians, I believe we need to have some discernment. We need to be able to look at stuff and recognize, you know what, man, just because somebody made a headline that says this, let me see what people are actually saying. Let's see what's, what's the proof. What's the facts? I approach everything with, with a critical mind. Man, is this really true? Because just because somebody said it doesn't mean it's true. Let me find out what's really going on here. And a lot of times you're going to find out some of these candidates aren't as awful as everybody says. And I'm the guy who says, man, I don't like any of them. So I'm saying, like, I'm not just, like, pro all the candidates. But but just because somebody slammed them or said they take this stance or they believe this doesn't mean it's true. We're called to to have some discernment, I truly believe. So, So in conclusion, as we wrap this up, is it okay to have opinions politically? Yes. Praise God, because I do. Uh, 
Is it okay to argue your point politically? Yes, you can argue. Now, argue honorably. Don't, don't make personal attacks. Don't, don't put people down. But, but yes, you can, argue, you can argue your point, man. I'm going to argue my point. There's some things that I, I am so passionate about that I believe in so deeply and so strongly, and I will argue with you about it. I'll do my best to honor God in the middle of it, but I'll argue. Those things are okay. Is it okay to make a point at the expense of your influence? Absolutely not. Let's just be real for just a minute. Two months from now, an election is going to happen. Somebody's going to become elected president, and the argument you had in the break room at work is not going to determine who that president is. I'm sorry to break it to you. Like, you ain't the one who's going to determine who the president is. You should vote. You should get out there. You should share your opinions and argue your points. Absolutely. But whether you win that argument or lose that argument, the same person is going to be elected. Let's just, let's just be real, real. It's not going to come down to the Mississippi electoral votes, uh, okay? Like, just fact of life. So why would I exchange my influence in your life for something that is going to make no difference in the long run, and now two months from now, three months from now, four months from now, something happens in your life, and you can't come to me because we built a wall up about something that made no difference whatsoever, and I've lost the ability to lead you to Jesus. I've lost the ability for you to share with me what's going on in your life. Why would I ever do that? Why would God's people ever exchange our influence in people's lives to make a point politically? We're wrong when we do that. We're just wrong. I'm not saying we can't argue. I'm not saying we can't care. I'm not saying we can't be passionate. But when we put politics over people, when we put politics over our influence, when we exchange the ability to point somebody to Jesus so we can plant our flag on this party, we are in sin. We just are. It's not God's best. And I grew up in a family that was totally this way and pretty much still is totally that way. Um, so, so I'm preaching to us. Finally, is it okay to jeopardize a relationship to score points politically? No. No, it's, it's not okay. If you have to defriend people because you can't stand where they stand on this issue, you care about politics too much because Jesus still loves that person and Jesus still died for that person and it's okay for us to agree to disagree. There's a lot of people in this room I disagree with you politically on some things, man. You post some things, I'm like, yeah, I don't really see it that way. But you know what? You're more important than your opinion to me. You're more important than your vote to me. You're more important than where you stand and what party you registered with. You're more important to me. Why? Because you're more important to Jesus. And if we as God's people would take that approach over the next two months, I think we'd actually have a greater impact politically and probably influence more people to our side than push them away. But set aside that because that's not what's important. We'd be able to bring a lot more people to Jesus. We have a lot more influence, a lot more credibility after the election is over and everything goes back to normal. We got to watch this stuff. So, so to wrap this up, to put a bow on this, let me just make this statement today. Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, red, blue, green, black, or white, all are precious in his sight. If they're precious in his sight, they better be precious in ours. We're going to do what is best. We can disagree about what's best, but we can never disagree. That's what's best is what's best for people. Amen?